Good morning and welcome to the Wednesday edition of the program. I'm Bobby Curran, Keegan Otis Hill, filling in this morning for Tanner Hayworth. And uh, we got a lot going on in the sports world as usual. Let's get after it. The sports stories you need to know. Here's your current events. Yesterday, the Rainbow Warrior volleyball team got to celebrate its second straight championship with loyal fans on a tour of downtown, which included visits with the governor and mayor. Nobody was initially thinking of a repeat with four All-Americans gone from last year, but this team got better and better as the season wore on. But now everyone will be back, leaving head coach Charlie Wade to proclaim why not us for three in a row? Why not indeed? Current events. When people compile lists of the best players in the NBA, rarely is Jimmy Butler's name invoked. Maybe that needs to change. Butler had 41 points, nine rebounds, five assists, four steals, three block shots. He outscored the entire Celtics team in the decisive third quarter. The teams play next on Thursday. Current events. Today, the West Coast Conference Finals begin with the upstart Dallas Mavericks taking on the Golden State Warriors. The headliners are Luka Doncic of the Mavs and Steph Curry of the Warriors, but it may mean the most to Warriors guard Clay Thompson, who missed two years with serious injuries and had to be wondering if he'd ever get back to playing at this level again. The role players on both teams could determine the series with the winner getting to play for an NBA championship. Current events. You may, uh, you may have watched, if you did see the game or listen to the game yesterday, you may have some thoughts. I've been a big Jimmy Butler fan for a long time because I thought Eric Spolstra made a very interesting comment after the game. He just said, he goes, there's the difference between loving to play basketball and absolutely being a dog of a competitor. And he goes, and Jimmy Butler does as good a job of competing as anybody in the league. I think that's true. I've thought that for a while. Jimmy Butler, it matters to him. There's, he's, there's never a shortage of effort, of perseverance. In fact, I'd say that's the reason, likely as anything, that he left the Minnesota T-Wolves. He just didn't care for the way at that time Andrew Wiggins, who, by the way, has kind of turned it around since going to Golden State, or Carl Anthony Towns, he just didn't think those guys had the win-at-all-cost mentality. And he didn't want to play with people like that. He says, like, life's too short. And so he, uh, you know, he played for the Sixers, and then he goes to the Miami Heat. But he has really found, I think, in Pat Riley and Eric Spolstra, he's found a place where there's an appreciation for a Jimmy Butler. Uh, he was just absolutely stupendous yesterday. And I don't think it's crazily important to Jimmy Butler to be regarded as a top five or a top eight or a top 10 player in the league. What's important to Jimmy Butler is that he is known as a winner. 
as a guy who lays it all out and where there's nothing as important as winning. I'm, I'm on board with that. I, I just think Jimmy Butler is terrific to watch. Some people find him because he can be, I, I would say, a tad aloof. But listen, I'm, we're not, this is not a personality competition. We're looking for a guy who's a fabulous dog of a player who just wants to give it up, everything he's got all the time in order to get his team ahead. I, I don't know. Maybe there's something. Maybe I'm missing something. Maybe there are other things that are more important. I know some people would say, well, it's an entertainment product. But you watch a guy who's a veteran the way he is run the floor. It was one point at which Tyler Hero grabs a rebound. It was an unbelievable length of the court pass. And who's down there to get it? Jimmy Butler. It was in for an easy bucket, and I thought, that's the way. If the Miami Heat should win this series, that's the way they're going to do it. Because I think overall on talent, probably props, slight advantage, I think, to the Celtics here. Uh, you know, some people complain that the Miami Heat just aren't that much fun to watch. Well, it depends what you like watching. You want to watch guys work really hard on the defensive end, uh, give it up uh, to teammates. I mean, they just don't have any problem sharing the ball. It's almost like it's a team where actually it doesn't matter who scores. I, I still think the Celtics are as likely to win this series as not. But that game one was a tone setter for the Miami Heat. I, I think that tomorrow's game now becomes huge. I just think, I don't think Boston can afford to lose it. The other thought I had was I think it hurt the Celtics more than it hurt the Heats to be missing their respective point guards. Marcus Smart, I think, makes a bigger impact on the Celtics than Kyle Lowry does for the Heat. I, I just, because they, they've got guys. I mean, Gabe Vincent's a hell of a player. So is Max Struess. He's a great shooter. I just thought, I mean, he's really displaced Duncan Robinson in the lineup. There's just no room for Duncan Robinson right now, who's a terrific shooter in his own right. I'm not sure that he won't somehow find a role somewhere in this series. Wouldn't shock me. But I just I just think Kyle Lowry has been okay. He's just not been – I think when they Celtics switched to Marcus Smart at the point, the team got better. Just my sense of it. The uh, A fun game to watch, uh, I thought Jimmy Butler does such an unbelievable job of using his body to sort of, you know, some people say he's pushing off. Well, not really. What he is doing is making some contact with a guy who's on his heels that makes him move another step and a half back. And meanwhile, Jimmy Butler's gathering and going up and either dunking or putting it in off the glass. Quite remarkable. Now, Al Horford also was out. For the Celtics, I don't know what the deal is on him because it's it's COVID protocols. So you don't know if that means that Al Horford tested positive, had contact with somebody who was positive, 
it's they don't say much nor are we going to get a quick answer on how long he might be out but al horford's a difference maker or can be for the celtics also so uh, i would say the celtics are not at full strength but you couldn't say that's not true also of the heat with uh, with lowry being out but as i said i do think the celtics uh, guys who are out are more important to the cause than kyle lowry is to the heat Let, let's go ahead and, and uh, take a look very briefly at today's game because this is the opener with the golden state warriors and the dallas mavericks i'm i'm picking the golden state warriors in this part of this is the bias that that's my favorite team i i just love the way they i love the way they move the ball here's the thing with luka Doncic as great a player as he is a lot of their offense is you know get the uh you know get the guy the ball luka and let him operate and it's you know basically iso ball He's going to go and take a series of screens, and he's going to drive down. He's an, he's an awesome player. But for me, that style is not as much fun to watch. He's a good passer as well. I mean, a very good passer. He'll find guys. I just think when you only have – if you stop Luka Doncic, let's say you hold him to 20 points. If you can do that, I think your chances of winning the game are outstanding. I just think it's tougher to say – because there's so many guys, it's not just Steph Curry, but it's Clay Thompson, it's Jordan Poole. There's a ton of guys on that team, Andrew Wiggins, that are capable of getting you 25 points on a given night. Now, I don't think you're going to get 25 points from Draymond Green very often, but I'll tell you this, he's a huge impact on the game, every game. He's also, I think the best defensive player that'll be in this game on tonight. So, I mean, everybody can talk about, yeah, the, the Mavs are a great defensive team. They have certainly gotten into a position where they're much, much better than they were. But I actually think that the best single defensive player on either team is Draymond Green. Kind of runs that thing. I think it'll be a fabulous series. I don't think this will be a short one. I mean, if somebody was to win this series in five, I'd be shocked. I kind of think I'm going to go, you know, Warriors in six or seven. I don't know exactly how long. It's going to be hard. If it comes to seven, I wouldn't want to have to play Dallas at Dallas. So I think if it's the Warriors, they probably want to get this thing wrapped in six. That would be my sense of it. Two good teams, they'll be worthy. It's not often that in the conference finals, you see a three versus a four seed. That's pretty rare. I mean, I just, I'm saying, that's you, you wouldn't have expected to see that. But, of course, Memphis out. They lose to Golden State. John Morant not available for the last couple of games of that series. And, and I'm not sure that that, I mean, people will say, well, yeah, it's, you, know, you won that with... And you didn't have John Morant. Well, keep in mind the record for Memphis without John Morant. It's actually better than their record with him. I think they were 21-6 and six without him. That's pretty impressive. So everybody else seems to make up for it. Not to say 
because I think John Morant is the single most exciting player at this time in the NBA. Who's better? Who would you rather watch? I mean, you can't take your eyes off that guy when he's got the ball. When he goes spinning and elevating in the lane, you just don't know where the shot's coming from. He's quite phenomenal. I wanted to just get the one guy who I just think is fabulously consistent, Steph Curry, 26.9. Let's call that 27 points a game. I mean, that's, that's hard to beat. He's a 36% three-point field goal shooter. I mean, that's this postseason. And a lot of people will say this is not one of his great, you know, one of his best shooting years. Here's the thing about Steph Curry, and it's been ever thus with him. The closer the game, the more important the moment, the more dialed in he is. I just think you see him over and over again. His team needs buckets late. That's when he seems to rail off two or three threes in a row. And they don't usually touch anything. I mean, that Splash Brothers nickname gets really appropriate when it's late in the game for both he and Clay Thompson, his fellow Splash Brother. And now these guys are all talking about, hey, we got a third one now with Jordan Poole. I think that is what makes the Warriors so dangerous. There's a lot of guys who can score. Now, Spencer Dinwiddie had a terrific game in game seven against the Phoenix Suns. I want to say, did he have 30, something like that? I think it was Doncic with 35 and Spencer Dinwiddie with 30. But you can't count on Spencer Dinwiddie coming up with 30 points. I'm also a big believer in Jalen Brunson. I think he's going to be heavily of interest in free agency. I think he's a really, really useful player. Now, and I think Dallas recognizes that. My guess is they are going to pay him. If they don't, I think it would be foolish. I remember a time when they didn't pay Steve Nash. They let Steve Nash go, and he and Nowitzki were an incredible player. They let him go to Phoenix, where he then won two MVPs in a row. I, I always thought that was Pennywise pound foolish. Let's see if they avoid that mistake this time with Jalen Brunson. Um, he's, But he, again, good player, solid player. But if he gets you 16 points... I think you got to say, yo, that's great. I just, here's the issue. I just don't see a lot of places outside of Luka where you can say, okay, the points are definitely coming from here. Uh, that's, I think, an issue. Kleber sometimes gets hot from three. There's other guys that can score there. But, you know, Finney Smith, I, but are they, how reliable and can you count on any of those guys for 20 points? I would say... There's no definite 20 points. Where Jordan Poole is a machine. I mean, he can get you 20 anytime. So can Clay Thompson. It's not only Steph Curry, which is really, I think, a big difference. And, and you know, this is true as much as I've never been a huge fan up until now of Andrew Wiggins because I always felt he made poor decisions. I think his decision-making is better this year. You know, always had a ton of athletic talent. In fact, it looks like He's going to get to spend some time on Luca, which is not an assignment that certainly I would relish. I mean, I think that's just a tough I, – I don't know that you can stop him. I think the best you can hope for is, with Luka Doncic is just to make him earn his points. If 
let's get Keegan Ota in here for a second. Keegan, if you're just put yourself in Steve Kerr's shoes, who are you going to start out defensively on Luca? Uh, that's a good question. I mean, really, I mean, it's like Luca can go against anybody. Let's be honest; he's that good. I kind of think, and now I had a couple guys disagree with me yesterday on this one, because a couple of people did vote for Andrew Wiggins to start on him. I think I might start Draymond Green on him, even though Luca is incredibly hard. It's incredibly hard to get into his head. I mean, if you had to pick a guy in the league who is great at getting between someone's ears, I'd say it's Draymond Green. Yeah, I think Draymond's the best. I mean, honestly, on this Golden State team, yeah, Draymond's your best option to defend Luka. That's really your best option. But you have to now hope that he doesn't get hurt in this series. Or in foul trouble. Or in or foul worse. trouble, right. Either in foul trouble or hurt because if that happens, uh, Luka then decides to pop off and you're down about 20 thanks to him. No question. I think that's the, that is the danger. I, in fact, I mean, I wouldn't want to see an injury – I mean, obviously, it's that way for Luca too, for the Mavericks. If Luca, you know, gets a knee strain and, ha and misses the series, say he gets hurt late in game one, it's over. Uh, there's no way they can make up for that. But I, I think similarly, if the Warriors are to lose Steph Curry, for example, I don't think their chances are a whole lot better. Steph Curry is the guy that gets baskets when you absolutely, incontrovertibly need one. Let's do this. Let's take a quick timeout. Right back on the Bobby Curran Show, ESPN, Honolulu. 23 minutes past the hour on this Wednesday edition of the program. Uh, I have seen a good bit of video of Tiger at Southern Hills practicing. In fact, he's on our... ESPN monitor even as we speak. This is, I think, a guy, I take him at his word on this because he's been pretty, even though Tiger, I think, is somewhat less than transparent about injuries, et cetera, in this particular instance, I think he's been quite accurate in saying, you know, he said at Augusta that it was going to be a chat, the walk was going to be a challenge. This is not an easy course to walk, but it is easier than Augusta. But as he said, he took one day off at the end of the Masters and went right back to work on conditioning and stamina and all of the things that will help him get back to a point where he can walk a course more easily. I expect that he's going to be fine with this. I, I'd be very much surprised if, he does, if he's unable to get through this. Now, you never know. A guy steps in a hole in anything can happen but i just think barring some weird circumstance i think tiger will be better this week i think he'll play better i don't i think they're very unlikely to catch cold temperatures at southern hills in tulsa by the way tulsa can get i mean as cold as it gets in the winter there once you turn into middle late may tulsa becomes one of those cities that is really hot I was there in the spring once, and it was brutal. Now, I haven't heard that it's going to be brutal this time, but you can expect temperatures in the high 80s, and it's not going to be something that Tiger's going to have to worry about. It's, it's the, He'll have the heat that his body will best perform in. So I think that's all good. I love it when Tiger's in these tournaments. I'll tell you the one I think he can win. 
I, I think this would be, I mean, this would be a shocker if Tiger won this week. But I will not be surprised if he's on the leaderboard on Sunday at St. Andrews. That course sets up for him. He's just, he controls those rolling fairways probably as well as anybody. His distance control, even on those bump and run to long bump and run shots, is excellent. He's a very good putter. He's won twice there. He lo- it's his favorite golf course in the world. So, yeah, I think he could be on the leaderboard on Sunday. Be really fun if that happened. I don't know that Tiger won't. I mean, if it was anyone but Tiger, <clears throat> I would say all the things he's been through would almost be a preventer from him winning another major. I'm not going to go there with Tiger Woods. He's got, he's got a competitiveness that most people don't have. Uh, it's just another gear kind of. And when he gets in the hunt, he is tunnel vision. He just has an incredibly acute focus. So, no, I'm not going to count Tiger out from ever winning another major. <clears throat> Some people would say, come on, the guy's getting long in the tooth. Okay. You know, he's still, he's still what, mid-40s? I mean, I, I'm not going to go say it's impossible for Tiger Woods to win another major. I think it's going to have to be, you know, it's going to have to be a special week. He's going to have to really be on his game. He's going to have to be putting it well. One issue that's affected him is he's gone into, the, I would say, the autumn of his career is he's not always you know, great off the tee. I think it's going to be one of those weeks when he's got control of that. But I wouldn't, would you rule it out? I just think it's dangerous to rule out Tiger Woods. We got a couple things that I do want to get to. There is, I don't really understand this uh, so much because everybody keeps focusing. Certainly, this talk in Cleveland is all about what do they do with Baker Mayfield, as if there's some urgency to get him gone. I, I really don't think that's true, because I'm going to be shocked. Deshaun Watson is now scheduled to have these meetings with the NFL. I think they started yesterday, where he's going to basically be asked to explain his behaviors. He's going to be asked tough questions. I, I My thought is that he is going to get a suspension, you know, the for not protecting the shield-type suspension. And I think that's going to be somewhere between six and eight weeks. So what do you, if you're Cleveland, what do you do? Do you start a non-entity guy who's, you know, the backup quarterback who has, has essentially been hired to hold the clipboard? I, I think that's dangerous. I think if you're thinking you're as good as the people in Cleveland think that roster is, I think you need Baker Mayfield. You certainly need him until Deshaun Watson's ready to play. I just, that doesn't make sense to me to go without him. I think that pretty much the Niners are in the same boat with Jimmy G. I mean, I I am a person who's a believer. Everything I have heard leads me to believe that Trey Lance is exactly what you would draw up to be a long-time, long-term success as a quarterback in the league. I mean, first guy in, last guy out, incredible 
work ethic, a grinder, after it all the time, can't know enough about the offense and what the coaches want and his fellow teammates and understanding their tendencies. He's all over that. Uh, as hard a worker as you could ask for. And I think that combination, along with his physical skill set, is going to, in the long run, make him successful. Now, the question is, what is the long run? Uh, because I think some people would say, well, do you expect that from him this year? I'd say, I think it's going to be a work in progress this year. But I don't think that Trey Lance is going to get better by sitting on the bench any longer behind Jimmy G. I think Jimmy G at his best does not have the skill set that Trey Lance has. I mean, sometimes you just have to face this and go ahead and let him make those growing mistakes. I think what Trey Lance will prove to be good at is not making the same mistakes over and over again. That, that I kind of feel like you can count on. You can sort of expect that he is going to be a good learner. I, that's what I expect anyway. I'll tell you that right now. I'm going to be very surprised if he's if he's less than that. Um, and, and I think he'll get better. Okay, we want to let you know we've got a guest coming up very shortly. The Philadelphia Eagles, I thought, made some very clever plays in their recent draft. We're going to talk with Brandon Lee Gowton from SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. Uh, we'll have him on right after this on the Bobby Curran Show, ESPN, Honolulu. Welcome back on this Wednesday. I want to introduce our first guest, Brandon Lee Gowton from SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation, who covers, as you might guess, all things Philadelphia Eagles. Joining us now, Brandon, how are you? Doing great. Thanks for having me. I am irritated beyond belief. I got to tell you, it's it just kept up yesterday because the Giants had an unbelievable shot. At, they drafted with two spots ahead in the third round of the Eagles, and they passed on Nakobe Dean from Georgia, who I think is an instant NFL starter. And, of course, the Eagles take him. And then yesterday, the Giants cut James Bradbury at corner for salary cap reasons, totally. No, he's, he's an all-pro or had an all-pro season. And now the Eagles then sign him. I, I'm like, what are you doing? If the Giants <laughs> don't get a handle on this, they're going to sit and be staring up at the Philadelphia Eagles, who are doing a much better job with the salary cap and adjudicating their resources. Your thought? Yeah, I think I think the Giants are really kind of you know paying for the mistakes, obviously, of Dave Gettleman and kind of feeling the long-term effects of the damage done there, and that's unfortunate. And I think for their sake, their best course of action might be to take a step backward in the short term because you know they kind of have to. But as far as the Eagles go and their side of it. Uh, they're kind of going all in right now, and or as much as they can. And it, the pressure is really on Jalen Hurts and Eagles defensive coordinator Jonathan Ginnon now. They have the tools. Howie Roseman has added a lot of talent this offseason. Now it's on everyone to kind of maximize that talent and make the most of it and everyone to perform. So, uh, yeah, exciting time to be an Eagles fan. Not so much maybe for the Giants. I, I kind of think that, that Jalen Hurts will look at this because a lot of people are saying, 
oh, well, there's all kinds of pressure on Jalen Hurts. This is going to be it. That he either performs with this new and better lineup or that'll be it for I don't think quarterbacks, and I don't think guys who have been the player of the year in the SEC and who goes on and has great success at Oklahoma, I don't think they think of it that way. I think they think of it as an opportunity. He's thinking, this is great. I think much like Tua. I don't think Tua has any of this nonsense about, uh-oh, woe is me if I don't do it now. That's not how they think. That's not how you get to be where these guys are in sports. Jalen Hurts, like Tua, is thinking this is fabulous. I guarantee he is now thrilled with his wide receiver. I mean, you know, the fact that they could have drafted Traylon Burks but instead trade for A.J. Brown, I mean, what do you want? A guy who's the, uh, the comp? Or do you want the guy who's actually done it? I, I'm just thinking now, he's thinking, okay, Devontae Smith, A.J. Brown, let's go. I, would, you, would you agree that that's more the mindset of a Jalen Hurts? I agree it's his mindset. And, yeah, yeah. A.J. Brown, at that point, uh, he's only 24. <laughs> this is a guy very much his prime years ahead of him. So it makes all the sense in the world to acquire that kind of player. It's not like you're acquiring a guy who's like 29, 30, and potentially paying, you know, big time money for his post prime year. So, uh, but yeah, as far as Jalen Hurts goes, I definitely think you know he's entering it with the right mindset. I think he always says and kind of does the right things. But you know, from the Eagles' perspective, I mean, they're going to need to see probably at least a playoff win this year because Jalen Hurts is going to be entering the final year of his rookie deal next year, and I don't think either side is really going to want to go into that with him being a lame duck. I would expect Jalen Hurts' camp especially to be forcing or at least applying a lot of pressure to the Eagles with the knowledge that the Eagles have an extra first-round pick and more assets down the line uh, next offseason to potentially pivot to a new quarterback. So I think they're going to want to his side, Jalen Hurts' side, is want to see, see that commitment, but he's going to have to earn it, and he has a chance to do it, and he very well might do it. But, you know, now's the time to do that. And if, you know, they don't make the playoffs somehow with a favorable schedule and then they don't win a playoff game and it kind of looks like last year where they didn't even belong in the postseason, they got blown out 35-0 to before uh, putting up some points in garbage time against the Bucks. well, then that's when, you know, things are, are going to be questioned when it comes to Dylan Hurts' long-term future in Philly. I Listen, I think the fair thing to say is, you know, Jalen Hurts, nobody's trying to say he's Tom Brady. So, I mean, that was a pretty good roster in Tampa Bay. To lose to them, I don't think you – I think that's how you – if you're at Harry, Howie Roseman, you got to start to – you got to chart progress, and you got to say, okay, where are we at compared to where we think we should be? I don't see that the major problem or the biggest problem on that team is Jalen Hurts. I think at the end of the day, though, you look at the teams they've gone up against, and this is especially a problem last year. And, like, you know, not that quarterbacks play each other, but still, I mean, you know, they, they carry a lot of, obviously, influence over the game. And you look at, like, who is the best quarterback that Jalen Hurts has gone up against and kind of outperformed that quarterback? And you can't really pick too many names that would be really impressive. You, I think the best names you could say were either Matt Ryan on a really bad Falcons team or Teddy Bridgewater, who is a backup this year and has been most a, a backup for a long time. So, so to see him kind of go up against those top-tier teams, I think, can help the Eagles beat those teams. Okay, let me get to what they else they've added, by the way, because their first-round pick, Jordan Davis, 
defensive tackle from Georgia. So I think at least for a while he should be paired as a D tackle with Fletcher Cox. That's a pretty good pairing. They, they pick up Cameron Jurgens, who a lot of people love, the center from Nebraska. That looks like a good pick. And then the one that just really bit me was the Nicobe Dean, because I think Nicobe Dean was one of the best defenders on that very good Georgia team. I get it. He's a little small. Uh, but some people say, yeah, he's only six feet and 220-something. I'm like, the guy can flat play. He's, I think he's an immediate starter on the Eagles. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's not like the, the toughest competition for him either. I mean, they did sign Kaiser White to a one-year, $5 million deal, so you figure he'll be in the mix for playing time. They really like T.J. Edwards a lot. He came on second half of last year, so he'll be in the mix too. But, you know, they might rotate the three of those guys. Kobe Dean will be on the field, I expect, in some capacity. Now, you know, I will say the fact that he did fall so far you know, makes you have to wonder a little bit, at least, why that did happen. And it might not just be that every team was dumb. And there was no reason at all. So, so far, so good in terms of him being able to participate in rookie minicamp. But I'm kind of curious to see, okay, is he going to be full go in training camp? And if he is, is he going to be able to hold up? Because the Eagles have drafted and had some injured players on their team in the past. Just, for example, Sidney Jones. And I'm not comparing the situations apples to apples, but they had a player who there was injury concerns and Sidney Jones would miss a lot of time in training camp, even though he would start out healthy, but he would get banged up. So so we'll continue to monitor that, and hopefully Kobe Dean doesn't miss time. And if he doesn't, I think he has the potential to be a very, very good player for this defense. I, I think in the third round, that's as much as you can hope for. That that was a That's a brilliant move by the Eagles. I think you got to give credit where credit is due. I know nothing about these guys, the, the sixth rounder out of – Kansas, a linebacker, and they got a tight end from SMU also. Sixth round. I, You know, if you get somebody that can help you in the sixth round, that's as much luck as anything else. Yeah, for sure. And again, I think Dean absolutely worth taking the risk on there at number 83, I believe it was, um, or in that third round there. So, no, no qualms about that. It's all just a matter of, you know, is there a shoe to drop? Is there a reason why he fell? And I mean, Joe Shane of the Giants said, uh, there was something he didn't really want to get into about why he was falling. And maybe, again, the Giants were mistaken for doing that. And that could very well be the case. But uh, definitely exciting to see him. And then, like you mentioned, Jordan Davis as well. Very, very exciting. Well, we did hear about some nagging injuries for Nicobe Deem. Nothing that was considered to be, you know, a career threat. So, to me, when you got a guy who has as much on tape as Nicobe Dean. The other criticism is that his size, he's a bit small. I'm, I want a guy who can play. I don't care if he's small. How many big guys have we seen bounce out of this league because they they can't play dead? You know, it's just, I just think we see it all the time. Here's a guy that clearly can play. He jumped off the screen off that Georgia defense, and that had a lot of guys in the NFL now. Interesting. I, I'm looking at this. I don't know where you are on it, Brandon, but I'm kind of thinking that I think this is – I think the Eagles are as likely as anybody to win the division. Your thought? I mean, there hasn't been a repeat winner in the NFC East since 2004, which is almost 20 years ago now. It's pretty crazy when you think about it, and it was the Eagles who last did it. Um, yeah, I mean, I think the Cowboys have taken a step back this year. You know, there was a lot That's of – how it seems. Uh, yeah, I mean, how, where did they really get better? I mean, 
they added some players in the draft, but I don't think you're counting on those guys to be instant instant, instant difference makers necessarily. Yeah. Um, you know, Amari Cooper's gone. Um, Gregor, Randy Gregory is gone. You know, they lost some key players on that team. So um, I definitely think for as good as a prospect that Micah Parsons is, I don't know that he's going to have as good of a year as he did last year. And you could say the same thing about Trayvon Diggs, who most certainly isn't going to have that same kind of interception total that he did last year. It seemed like the ball just seemed to find him every single week. So, and that's not to say the Cowboys still won't be a good team. If you look at their schedule, and it's pretty easy, and they still have, you know, arguably the best quarterback in the division, and Dak Prescott, so that counts for something. But I definitely think they're taking a step back, and the Eagles are kind of going a step forward. And then the Commanders and the Giants, I don't really think they're making noise, serious noise for the division title. So, yeah, the Eagles absolutely have a chance. Well, I, I kind of like if you made me bet on it, I, I would take the Eagles. I have no confidence in anything. I mean, how do you let your two best, well, two of your best receivers, I don't, I think Gallup might be number two, but actually, you know, Amari Cooper, clearly your number one in Dallas, and then Cedric Wilson, who is a very yeah. useful player, and you let both those guys get away. I just, that that's not the actions of someone who is intending to get to the Super Bowl. Yeah, and then, you know, they lose their starting left guard, too, and Connor Williams kind of get a lot of flack there. But he was still a decent, or at least a quality starter for them. And there's no guarantee that you, know, you drop this Tyler Smith in the first round. He's only 20 years old. He's had some injury issues in the past. There's no guarantee he comes in and he's, you know, great right away, especially moving from tackle to guard as well. So, yeah, uh, I think, you know, you look across the board, and, and especially in important areas, offensive line, defensive line, the passing attack with the receivers, as you mentioned, and the Cowboys have gotten worse. And then there's the not. This isn't even to mention the whole Sean Payton specter kind of lingering over this Cowboys season, and the idea that he's going to eventually replace Mike McCarthy. So there's also that going on there as well. Yeah, I, it's hard to calculate because we are hearing also rumors that Payton could end up at Carolina replacing Matt Rule. I, I'm I'm never sure how much credibility to give some of these things. Yeah, for sure. It's just uh, it's just kind of like I feel like the Cowboys have had an offseason where you know it's not very positive. Things aren't trending positive. It's like the coach thing, and then they're losing players, and then and then the, they still go back to how they lost in the playoffs was incredibly embarrassing. Like it doesn't seem like it's pointing to a season where all right, this is finally the Cowboys' year. No, no question, Brandon. It's going to be fun. I can't wait until the season gets started. Me too. Uh, you know, training camp will be starting in late July, and then it all really begins again. No no doubt. Brandon Lee Gouton from SB Nation, Bleeding Green Nation. Thanks so much for your time today. Welcome back on this Wednesday edition. We're going to talk a little NBA next hour. We'll have Casey Kiernan, host of AM Hoops, and we're going to have some talk with him. He had, at one point, he had on his... Uh, Next to his name, he says, just another NBA YouTuber, which was kind of funny. Uh, Casey is insightful. We're going to talk with him about the series, both the first game taking place in Miami, which some people I think were going to be were surprised by that. A lot of people, mo way more. In fact, ESPN had, a, had 19 pundits picking the series. 15 of the 19 went for the Boston Celtics. I don't know how many are revisiting that this morning because I thought the Miami Heat looked good yesterday. 
they didn't look like that's something they couldn't repeat. Now, I don't know that they're going to see that many turnovers out of Tatum. I, I don't know that you will see Miami shoot it that well at critical points. But I don't rule out that Miami could win this game on Thursday. I think it's possible. 296-1420 is the number. We're not going to be here much longer. we got to take a quick timeout. But we'll be back around the bend. Uh, we got a couple of little features for you. Stay tuned. This is the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. Welcome back on our Wednesday edition of the program. Bobby Curran with Keegan Ota filling in <clears throat> for Tanner Hayworth this morning. It is time to get to our favorite daily feature. The Bobby Curran Show presents Buy or Sell. All right, let's get things started. Uh, first of all, the NBA draft lottery happening yesterday, and as most everybody knows, Orlando wins the number one pick in the draft lottery. However, another team appears to have, quote-unquote, won a lottery pick. OKC gets the number two pick, but because of a trade with the LA Clippers, OKC also gets the number 12 pick. So, Bobby Byer sell in the 2022 NBA draft. OKC actually won the lottery. I guess you could make that case. I'm not sure that it's a slam dunk because a lot of people have Chet Holmgren out of Gonzaga going, but the guy is seven feet tall and 190 pounds. I mean, in the NBA, you can get bounced around pretty good until you put the weight on, which then you think, well, Jamari Smith from Auburn or Paolo Boncaro from Duke. So I don't think there's a guarantee in this case that Orlando is even going to take Chet Holmgren. And if they do take him, how useful will he be for the first couple of years? So, yeah, I suppose you could make a strong case that Oklahoma City might come out the better. You know, we have seen a number of guys go around that number 12 spot who end up being pretty damn good players. So, yes, I am going to buy on that one that maybe they did win the draft. Buy, buy, buy or sell. Sell, sell, sell. Okay, let's head to Tulsa now where the PGA Championship round number one starts tomorrow. Now, of course, the headline, Tiger Woods feels better. He's set to play in round number one. Of course, paired with Jordan Speed too. That's a pretty good pair to watch out for tomorrow. Uh, by the way, the last time we won the PGA Championship, get this, back in 2007, and it was at Southern Hills as well, at uh, the same course that they are playing on in 2007 was indeed the last time that the PGA Championship went to Southern Hills. It kind of looks like the stars are kind of lining up. So, Bobby, buy or sell, Tiger will win the PGA Championship. I actually got to sell on that one. I just think it's too soon. I think he may well win another major. I just think it's more likely, if it was going to be this year, it's more likely to be at St. Andrews, his favorite course where he's won twice. Whereas Southern Hills is, it's not like Augusta. It's not as tough a walk, but as one of the pros said, it's not an easy walk either. I mean, I just think it's going to challenge Tiger. The one thing in his favor is the weather. It's going to be nice and warm, which is good for that which ails him. If you made me pick right now, I'm kind of, I got co-winners or guy co-leaders in Jordan Spieth and Scotty Scheffler. 
Buy, 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 buy. or sell. Sell, sell, sell. Actually, I might take Rory there. Uh, by the way, last one. Okay, so since I'm filling in, might as well end on a big one. University of Hawaii Sports. Hawaii men's volleyball back-to-back -back national championships. Hawaii women's volleyball wins the Big West Conference. Hawaii women's basketball wins the Big West regular and conference tournament. And every other sport basically having a really good season overall for the University of Hawaii. So, Bobby, and actually second place in the Commissioner's Cup right now in the Big West. So, for you, Bobby, buy or sell. In this century, going from 2000 on, in this century, this is the best season the University of Hawaii has had. I, I'm going to buy that. I think it is the best season. There's not a single team that's not competitive. I mean, how fabulous is that? We have had years where you have to say, mm, let's not look at that team because they are really in a struggle. But everybody's playing well. So I am very optimistic, and I can't wait. I think football is going to be a challenge in this first year. But I also think that they will play hard and, and be competitive. And then you look at the basketball and both volleyball teams. And you heard what Charlie Wade said yesterday. Why not us to win three in a row? Because this last year was the surprising repeat. They got everybody back for next year. They ought to be good. Buy, 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 buy. or sell. Sell, sell, sell. And we have, okay, we got three in. All right, there you go. Well, that was quick. You're, you're a master of uh, brevity. And let's go. I was waiting for another, another buy or sell. I wanted to buy something else, but you got me excited with that UH bit. Let's, let's talk a little bit about this Mavericks Warriors series. I, I just think here's the, the, what worries me a little bit about the Warriors. They turn the ball over a ton. I mean, 18.2 turnovers per game in the series against the Grizz. That's just way too many turnovers at the NBA level. I mean, you got to keep that to single digits. Nine or ten is acceptable. You can win with that. I just think it's amazing that they beat, beat Memphis turning it over that much. I don't think you can get away with that long term. We're going to talk, I think, talk a little bit with Casey Kiernan about it. How fixable is that is a good question. I, I actually think I was watching in the, the game against Memphis where I think I want to say it might have been game five, but I didn't, even in game six, which they uh, did win, I, I saw this a bunch that they're like they're trying to score so quickly that they're throwing these almost length of the court bounds. Those are, that's a tough pass, especially when you have to thread it around somebody. And they turn those turnovers come sometimes, in my opinion, unforced. That's something that you bring on yourself. I think if they do too much of that, it'll give a huge boost to the Dallas Mavericks. Okay, I haven't asked you this, Tanner. I don't know who wins this series and how many games does it go? You're asking me or you're asking Yes, Tanner? I'm I'm sorry. I'm asking you, <laughs> Keegan, yes. Um, no, uh, I think I, – I actually think if you want to talk the series itself and how the, far this goes – I actually have this strange feeling both of them will go the distance. I'm including the Eastern Conference as well. So two seven. I like series. this going seven either way. Wow. This is close enough where like, okay, 
So the Miami and Boston one, you lose out a couple of players, right? Al Horford, Marcus Smart, gone, right, from that game. That game is a lot closer with those two in. Let's be fair now. That that game is not like up and down, obviously, nine or 11-point difference. That game goes up and down. But if you're talking Dallas and Golden State, it's a scoring battle. It l- legitimately becomes a scoring battle. And I think, or not, well, everything's a scoring battle, but really it's like high-tier high offenses on both ends. I think you're looking at game sevens either way. Okay, now here's the deal. If it's Golden State, Dallas going seven, that game's in San Francisco's game seven because they are the higher seed. I, I'm just saying, I love Golden State in a seventh game at home. You've got a ton of experience there. You've got three of the best shooters in the NBA, uh, in Jordan Poole, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson. I, I just love the way they play in fourth quarters. I thought that game six against Memphis, they just they have a period of time somewhere late third or fourth quarter where they just take over games. How many times have we seen this movie? I mean, I, I feel like it's Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I've seen it so many times. I, you know, it's Groundhog Day of sorts. So I would say if it goes seven, I would say I really like Golden State. I'm not sure I feel as confident about a game seven for Miami at home. You know, they'll be at home also. I don't know if I feel as confident about that one. I I I actually will go the opposite way of what you have. I you like Dallas in a game seven. Oh. I like Dallas in a game seven. Let's be fair here. Look at what they did against the Suns in game number right, seven. It is hard to play in Phoenix. Phoenix. It is hard to play in Phoenix. Like you had I mean, sure, they had an off game. Let's be let's take it as a one off, but still the Mavericks performed pretty consistently throughout the entire series against Phoenix. I mean, so did Golden State, but that one ended early. But if you're talking about going going the distance, like going to Game Seven, Dallas proved that they can go seven and win at Game Seven, going to another play, going to another place, and at the number one team's place, mind you, at Phoenix. So yes, I actually think Dallas can win Game Number Seven. If you're going the other side of the floor now with Miami, Miami has proven that Miami now again has become a place that you do not want to play, especially if that goes Game Seven. That place gets loud. And I think Jimmy Butler will pop off. Jimmy Butler will score at least 40 when it comes to game number seven. And I got faith that the Heat, it will be the Heat. And I I actually, right now, believe uh, Miami and Dallas will be a final. Yikes. That's my pick. Okay, let me just throw this in. I thought in the last four games of that Phoenix-Dallas series, that is the worst I've ever seen Chris Paul play. He got dominated. It, he looked suddenly old and out of it. Okay, but that's not excusing the. That's not that's excu- that's one person, but you're still letting. But up that's about your 40 leader. Points. That's your point guard leader. Right. <clears throat> that's that hurts. Not to say, that's not to say forty points is still a different. That's not to say one person let up forty points. That's the rest of the team playing too. How about this though? Chris Paul didn't score a basket until his team was down forty. How's that? Okay. Well, then that is. Well, yeah. I, I just think you're not. You can't count on a Golden State guard, not Klay Thompson, certainly not Steph Curry, not Jordan Poole. You can't count on any of those three guys, no showing in a game seven. That would be the difference to me. The other thing that I worry about with Dallas is they're very Luka-reliant. Basically, you got to get 35 points out of Luka. You don't have as many ancillary scorers on that team. So 
listen, I'm, I'm not a person who believes that one NBA team can't beat another one. I, I'm not going to say it's a slam dunk, mortal cinch lock that, that Golden State wins a game seven. I just like their chances, I suppose, is the way I would put it. I think it's going to be, I think both these series should be really fun to watch. I was hearing someone say yesterday, you know, the problem with the Miami Heat and the reason everyone counts them out is because they're boring. They're not fun to, well, what part of a team that plays great defense, gets after the backboards like nobody's business, dives for loose balls, how, how is that boring? That doesn't bore me. I mean, I'm like, and you watch a guy like Jimmy Butler or the way that Bam Adebayo blocks shots, I, or Tyler Hero makes incredible plays. No, I don't find that. And by the way, how good of a shooter is Max Struess? Holy smokes. I don't even, I never heard of this guy before this year. Max Struess is a beast and was really good at various times yesterday. So, no, I'm not going to buy into that narrative that, oh, they can't beat the Celtics because they're boring. When did that ever matter in the NBA? Boring to who? Uh, I don't know. I think I just heard uh, a quote. This is uh, Chris Finch, who's the coach of the T-Wolves. And he just said, man, it wasn't fun this year. It was just, uh, it was parts of basketball that just weren't fun. I was like, oh, do something else, buddy. If you can't have fun coaching some unbelievable athletes in the NBA, you got to find another gig. Walmart's hiring. 296-1420 is the number. Go ahead. If you have something you want to talk about, we're going to have uh, Casey Kiernan coming up uh, with us at the bottom of the hour. We're going to talk about his thoughts. So you got it. I th I'm okay with two, seven, two series going seven. I love, I love game sevens. I, and I think that's probably a fan thing as much as anything, because I think if you ask any coaches, they tell you we want to win this in four. I mean, that's just coaching. That's how coaches are. They don't want to play one more minute more than they have to. They want to get the thing won because they know what can happen when you get into a game seven. I've heard people say this. You get into a game seven, anything can happen. I th certainly think when you look at the way the Celtics romped the Bucks in Game 7, but not to even come close to what the Mavericks did on the road against Phoenix. But I thought Phoenix played really poorly. They just were flat. I mean, what are the chances that you're going to get Devin Booker and Chris Paul shut out in the I think DeAndre Ayton joined their party. They got shut out in the first half. How often does that happen? I mean, that's craziness. It's uh, coming up on 15 minutes past the hour. We got a couple of things that I do want to get to. There's a front page news in USA Today. We're going to talk about this when we come out of our break. But so it, it's basically Nancy Armour, who's a lead columnist at USA Today, saying, don't feel sorry. Phil did this to himself. We're talking about Mickelson, who's Stock has never been lower. We're going to take a quick timeout. We'll be right back on the Bobby Curran Show, ESPN, Honolulu. Welcome back on this Wednesday edition of the program. Said I wanted to delve into this a little bit, but Phil Mickelson had a really a perfect storm this week, and I think it makes a lot of sense that he decided not to go 
to Southern Hills. I can't tell you how unusual it is for a defending champion. He won, remember he won the PGA Championship last year at uh, Kiowa Island at the age of 51. I mean, where it should have been a huge celebration of golf and of Phil Mickelson. Instead, Phil Mickelson with some very polarizing comments about the Live Golf, the Saudi-backed uh, competition for the PGA Tour, it was really sort of, he lost it with a lot of other players. They just said, whoa, I don't even want to be associated with this if this is where it's going. Phil was talking about he needed to leverage, the PGA Tour is greedy. Well, there's a lot of people that are saying the one who's really greedy is Phil Mickelson. Now, keep in mind between 2010 and 2014, Phil Mickelson lost $40 million gambling. $40 million. It's an average of $10 million a year gambling. That's hard to do. You've got to be putting up big numbers to have that happen to you. Also, you're not very good at it. I, w I would say if you lose consistently like that, $40 million in four years, you, you better find another hobby because that one's not working for you. The, uh, I think that Phil Mickelson has always been a little fast and loose with comments he's made. He has alienated people in the past. He ends up having to apologize. And, and now this time, is an apology going to be enough? Some people have said, you know what? Everybody makes mistakes. Phil may be a few more than most. <clears throat> but a lot of people are willing to let him up if he just come and sincerely apologize. But this is what adds to the problem for him. He now is in a position where he had to endure two, not one, but two tell-all books coming out within about 10-day period. One of them's out now, the Alan Shipnick book called Phil. It's an unauthorized biography and by all reports, not terribly flattering. So Phil Mickelson did not want to have to show up at Southern Hills, answer all the questions about the live golf missteps, and then to be challenged on basically a lifetime of behaviors that might be a little less than ideal. I think we're, we're the most forgiving sports culture in the history of mankind. I mean, you can be forgiven for all kinds of missteps. I think sincerity and apology, and you can move on. That's, uh, it's not like that in some other fields. Politics, for example, where the mistakes pile up, and after a while you can't overcome them. Ask Madison Cawthorn about that. He's out. He was an incumbent in North Carolina, lost because of misbehaviors. It's, it happens. Sports, a little less so. You got a shot to keep it alive in the sports world. I just think that it's inevitable that Phil Mickelson, I mean, golf is his life. I think he's going to come back here. I don't think that this is going to be a forever thing. But I do think he's got a lot of work to do to clean up. You know what's interesting? Some of these players supposedly, now when this thing comes up, this Live Golf, it's, the op it's opposite the, uh, the Canadian Open. And so where usually the PGA Tour grants these exemptions for 
play, especially an opposite event when you want to play somewhere for whatever reason, closer to home, you've got a purse, whatever. They usually grant these. This time they didn't. This time they said, hell no, and we're going to punish you if you play without the exemptions. They're talking about lifetime bans. Players are laughing about that because they, don't, they think that the PGA Tour will not only lose in court, but lose huge damages, which they can ill afford. So slow roll that, you know, this is how it's going to be in terms of lifetime bans. That looks, most of the legal people I've talked to have said, that's a non-starter. That's not going to happen. They're not, there's no way they win that. So, and I, because the players are independent contractors. They're not employees. So I don't see any way they're going to be able to enforce that one. It's 24 minutes past 7 o'clock. I, I get it that Jay Monahan is thinking this is a, this is the, an existential threat to the PGA Tour. He's worried about it because the Saudis have unlimited financial resources. The fact that they offered Jack Nicklaus $100 million to be the face of their organization. Now, as Phil, Mc as Phil Nicholas, uh, Jack Nicholas rather said, listen, I, this, I've built this thing. I mean, I'm part of the reason that the PGA Tour is what it is. I mean, I've worked very hard to do my part in building it. I'm not, do you think I'm going to turn my back on it for 30 pieces of silver, more or less? I mean, listen, no one, who couldn't use an extra 100 mil? But it certainly isn't necessary for someone like Jack Nicklaus, who's had an unbelievably successful career. He wasn't selling out for money. Because, I mean, having Greg Norman there, Greg Norman also famous for misspeaking. So in some ways... And then to get Phil Mickelson as the guy you were going to count on, that might not have worked well. I'm not really exactly sure what was going on with all that. I don't know. Um, I, I just think they could have done better in their selection of who they would have to represent them. Um, with all that money, they should have been able to find a way to work with the PGA Tour at least to let guys be playing on a rotating basis so they all could have shared in, you know, this untold riches. And they could have, unaffect, it could have been unaffecting to the PGA Tour. They, they groups were not willing to get together and work that out. And I think this is what you get. But a number of players, now I, I don't know exactly who all of them are, but it does seem like at the very minimum, Lee Westwood, Ian Poulter are going to play anyway. They're going to just go and say, all right, we couldn't get the exemption, we're playing. Because these guys figure they can make several million dollars playing in this thing. So that a couple million dollars at this stage of Ian Poulter's career is hard to come by. Similarly for Westwood. I mean, these guys are kind of past their big earning days but not necessarily so if they're playing for Live Golf, which is the name of this uh, Saudi uh, bankrolled golf league. I think, it's, I think it's a little crazy, but I also get that that's how it's rolling. 
And I don't know that they're going away from that anytime soon. As a number of people said, you can put this thing off, but it's not going away. There's just too much money involved. Coming up on 28 minutes past 7 o'clock, we got Casey Kiernan uh, coming up for you to talk a little NBA. You're listening to The Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. Welcome back on our Wednesday edition. First game of the Eastern Conference Finals over and ended in Miami's favor. Many, many pundits were picking Boston in the series. I don't know if that made them reevaluate. It is only one in a best of seven, but <clears throat> let's welcome our next guest. Casey Kiernan is with us, host of AM Hoops, just another NBA YouTuber is the way he used to describe it. Casey, how are you? I'm great, Bobby. How are you? These playoffs have been great so far. <laughs> so far, so good. I now I have a question for you. Maybe you have a an answer because I haven't heard a good one yet. <clears throat> when we talk about great NBA players, I mean it's the big three in the MVP race: the Giannis's and Joker, Joker and and Embiid, and then Doncic and Jason Tatum, and you could go on and on. But the one guy I don't hear much mentioned in that conversation is Jimmy Butler. And I, my only question is why, because the guy is such an ultra competitor, had 41-9 rebounds last night, you know, five assists, four, uh, or four, five assists, I think, but he had steals and block shots, and how does this guy get lost or out of that conversation? Well, I would think it's because He's never been the best player on a team that really looked like it could win a title, either in the regular season or in the postseason. Um, and, you know, you just put Luka in that category of Jokic and Giannis and Embiid, and, you know, I'm not so sure that's right. And, and if I was to say who are the best players in the NBA, I mean, I would include Kawhi Leonard in that because he's a two-way guy who can guard almost anyone. And then also get a bucket no matter what. You'd put the ball in his hands and you'd feel great about it. Uh, and you'd feel that same way about Luka, right? But not on the defensive end. But then you bring up Jimmy Butler. He, he is a two-way player. He's really good. He's somewhat limited from the three-point shot. Um, but, I mean, I, I see what you're saying. It's something that you can't quite put your finger on in terms of giving you a great answer for it. But I just remember when Miami was against the Lakers in the bubble, they put up a decent fight, but it seemed like no matter what Jimmy gave them, even with decent role players, it never felt like the Heat could win that series and win that championship. And I guess that's kind of the opinion in a nutshell. You know what I mean? It's almost like you need someone who's just a half step above Jimmy to actually be that best player on a championship team. It's kind of hard to put into words, but that's the best I could do. The the thing about Butler is his is uber competitiveness. Uh, he just oh, seems yeah. to make plays. It's really important to him. In fact, he left Minnesota because he didn't find Wiggins or Carl Anthony Towns to be kind of guys that were all in. And he's like, I don't want to be around guys. I mean, life's short. I want to be around guys who will do anything to win a f basketball game. Your thought? Is Casey not there? We lost him? Okay, we got a disconnect there. We'll try an effort getting uh, 
Casey Kiernan back on. I think that was a reasonable answer. I would say this, though, in response to what Casey was saying. I think now is the time that Jimmy Butler is the best guy on a team that looks like it could win the title. I, I would think that for the first time, maybe, this is this may be the first time that's true. Okay, Casey Kiernan back with us. Casey, I wanted to get to this because I, you know, I always include when I t when I think of great NBA players, I include Steph Curry all the time. He's averaging 27 points a game across the playoffs here, and I don't know if there's a better fourth quarter player in the league than Steph Curry. He just seems even when he's having just a kind of an off shooting night, you need a couple baskets as they did against Memphis, and he's there. I I kind of feel like. That's part of what a star is. I mean, that he just rises up when it's most important. Your thought? Yeah, I totally agree. Those are the best players. That's the antithesis of what James Harden has shown us yeah. his entire career, not just this postseason. Jimmy Butler definitely has that. I would say that Jimmy Butler has the attitude. You know, people always ask me, you know, who's your favorite player? I'm like, you know, it's probably Kawhi Leonard's up there because he just puts his head down and he doesn't care about the – the accolades, the awards, the social media. Jimmy Butler's the same way. If there's somebody who, you know, had the attitude of, you know, my kind of player, it would be Jimmy Butler. And, you know, he's played so well in these playoffs. I still don't put him in that vein of a Steph Curry or a, a Luka on the offensive end. Um, you know, Jimmy Butler doesn't have one of these playoff moments you know obviously lebron has it obviously Giannis now has it uh in last year's finals the block on uh the block on deandre ayton i can't really look at a jimmy butler's career and say you know what that's his big playoff moment now he's great he's got that attitude he has the numbers but i just have yet to see it in a big big game you know man on man and Jimmy Butler delivers, and maybe we will get that this playoffs. Certainly, I think there's going to be an opportunity if, this, if yes. his teammates can continue to do what they did yesterday. I think we sometimes underestimate some of the some of the Miami Heat. One of the guys that I think gets underestimated is Bam Adebayo. What a terrific shot blocker! He's yes. a rim protector of the highest order. Absolutely, and he can guard on the perimeter as well. Uh, you know, I put out a little video of saying these are my awards for the season. I did not vote Marcus Smart. I voted Bam Adebayo. I know that he only played about 59 games this year, but um, he's so valuable on the defensive end, and also he's developed a little bit of range. Um, you know, he shoots very well from the mid-range. He's a guy who can guard one through five, and that's the kind of guy that you need um, in the playoffs to win a championship. And you're right. We saw that yesterday against the Celtics. He's great. I want to get your thought on this because we were talking about guys who maybe haven't done it in big moments. I just think you have to reevaluate Chris Paul after that series. I mean, he was lousy yeah. in the last four games. I think he averaged eight points the last four games of that Mavericks series. And, and on, in game seven, the guy was a total no-show. He was. Um, now, he's 37 years old, and so for us to, um, you know, put his career on this last playoffs, you know, the playoffs before he had that injury, 
I, I really I don't look at these last two years to sort of color his entire career. I look at all of the years before that. In all of the years before that, he hasn't been able to get it done. Um, his first conference finals was with the Rockets in 2018 when they played the Warriors. And, of course, his hamstring injury took him out for game six and seven. And maybe that was his best chance to win a championship. But other than that, it's a bunch of first-round exits. It's a bunch of second-round exits. He has some good numbers sprinkled in there. But in a lot of those... He plays way below his standard, yep. especially in the regular season. I mean, in all of those years where he had a first-round exit, a second-round exit with the Clippers, with the Hornets, he was an all-star in almost every single one of those years. And so I think that that's what frustrates people so much is the difference between regular season Chris Paul and then playoff Chris Paul. And so when people try to, for me – when people try to point to that Maverick series or that Game 7 and say, see, this is what Chris Paul is, I'm like, you know what, you're right, but I don't say because of that. I mean, he's 37 years old. If you look at his whole career, he's been this way. And, and sometimes a narrative can build up to where people will unfairly call somebody a choker or whatever. It's kind of lazy analysis. But I'm telling you, if you dig into the numbers and the years, this is who he's been his entire career, and that's not me being a hater at all. It's just a fact. I uh, I kind of I, I get a little uh, a little feeling in my gut when someone says, "Oh, he's probably the greatest point guard ever in the NBA." I'm like, oh, "Slow roll that, please." <laughs> I'm not yeah, getting. Yeah, where that. would you put him? I mean, I mean, you've got Steph, you've got Magic, and then maybe Stockton. I mean, who do you would, would you put him behind Stockton or above him? What oh, definitely behind Stockton. I mean, Stockton Why is the assistant. Because, because Stockton was played as well as he could. He had only Carl Malone on many of those teams. And yeah. look how often they got deep in the playoffs. And I think they did it on the back of Stockton's control of the ball and the game. Yeah, and I just don't see Malone, Paul doing yeah. that. You know what I mean? I don't see Chris Paul doing that. I think at the biggest moments, he's been a disappointment. Yeah, I agree. And then, you know, what's funny is to argue Stockton over Chris Paul, which, you know, t doing that argument today isn't very hard because we all just saw what happened. But if we did this argument three weeks ago, uh, I think that a lot of people, Bobby, would put CP3 over Stockton. And so I think, you know, in a year, two years from now, when those same people are saying, you know what, maybe Chris Paul was better than John Stockton. To me, the man would have had at least one, if not two championships, had he not played in the Michael Jordan era. So many guys had their careers completely changed from playing in the same era as MJ. And so I think if the only thing we're going on, you know, for the knock for Stockton is no championships, hey, I can't fault the guy for playing against MJ. Well, I hear you. He's got as many championships as Chris Paul does, though. That's true, yeah. So, I mean, one of the things that I go by is, well, what did it go, What was a guy like in really big moments? And I think John Stockton answered the bell. Um, I just thought he was a terrific point guard. By the way, we're leaving somebody out because I think it's almost inevitable now that sooner or later John Moran's going to enter this point guard conversation. Oh, wow. the, the guy is beyond electric. I mean, I, I mean, I'm a huge Steph Curry fan, 
But I have to admit, when, when John Morant's on the court, it's hard to take your eyes off him. Yeah, I agree. Now, you know, we go through these, uh, these sort of predictable phases and these love affairs that we have with these players. And it's first they burst onto the scene, and then we gush over them. And then if they don't win for maybe two, three years, we start to poke holes and we start to tear them down. That happened with Giannis, if you'll remember. People were really uh, slandering the guy before he won it all. And this is going to happen with Ja eventually, I think. And it will happen with Luka as well. But my prediction for the um, holes that they will poke in Ja's game is twofold. Number one is his defense. Yeah, not they a great defender. No, not even not a great defender. He's not a even a good defender. defender. I'll be honest. He's not even a good defender. Yeah, but, but he's athletic enough that he's a decent man defender against uh, uh, other backcourts. But if you look at the on-off numbers, if you look at how great that team plays on defense without Ja, it is shocking how poorly he hurts their team defense. So, like I said, he's a decent man defender, but from a team context, especially in the playoffs, it's so easy to pick on him with screens and switches. Yeah. Um, and then the second thing is health. And so, you know, we all – eventually we have to use health as something that we really take away from a guy like we do with Anthony Davis. And the way that Jaw plays, it's electric. Like you said, it makes us fall in love with him. But he has a little Derrick Rose in him. Um, the way that he throws himself into the paint, he loves the big highlight dunk that makes us all get out of our seats. That comes with a price. Yep. And there's a punishment – he only weighed 175 pounds when he came to the league, the third lightest player out of all 450 players, the third lightest. But he plays like he's 200-something pounds like yes, Russell he does. Westbrook. He's not that guy. That punishment is is intense. He needs to expand his game, taking a page out of Chris Paul's book, a guy we just talked about, lean on the mid-range more, lean on the three-pointer more. He needs to learn that before it's too late. Well, the one of the things about the other guy he reminds me of a little bit with throwing his body around is Allen Iverson. Because I did yeah. you ever see anyone hit the ground as hard and as often <laughs> as Allen Iverson? I mean, the guy was unbelievable. Absolutely. Fearless. Yeah. And then it's, it's, it's crazy because when you look at the arc of Iverson's career, fell off a cliff overnight, right? And yeah. that's, you know, that's the kind of thing that John needs to look at the injury from Derrick Rose and say, okay, if I do make it past that, like an Allen Iverson, I want to be able to stay in this league. So, you know, he could learn a lot. He is, uh, he is beyond the bull beyond in terms of watchability. Let me get your thoughts on this upcoming series. My, uh, my partner in crime here across the way uh, has picked the Dallas Mavericks to win this series in seven games, and he's citing as evidence that look what the Dallas did to Phoenix. Well, my feeling would be you add the two best players, or two of the best players, arguably the two best players on Phoenix, no show. Chris Paul and Devin Booker yeah. didn't show up. What are the chances of getting Steph Curry, Clay Thompson, and Jordan Poole, and let's throw in Draymond Green? What are the chances of getting one or more of those guys to no show in a game seven at home? I would say they're minimal. They're minimal, but the only thing that gives me pause is Steph Curry's uh, form as of late, and not just in the playoffs, but in the entire uh, second half of the season. After he broke that three-point record, uh, he had his lowest three-point percentage of his career, 
he he did well in the last few games against the Grizzlies. But look, obviously, the Warriors are a favorite for a reason. They're a big favorite. They've been there before, and they've got their top three stars and they're deep. Um, but look, I'm not as confident as I would have been in 2015, 16, 17, or whatever. So I could see somebody picking Dallas, but obviously the smart money is on the Warriors. Yeah, and I just think right now, I mean, I, I was just looking at the playoff numbers because, granted, everybody I think is aware that Steph Curry did not have his best shooting year. He's 36%, 36 and change percent from three-point range in the playoffs. Just a That's hair shot. You know, but it's 37%. How many guys in the league shoot 37% from three? It's rare. That's league average. That's league average. Well, league average? League 37%? Average. Yeah, 36%, I believe, is league average. So if he's shooting 37%, that's not good for him. Well, it's, it seems like when it's important, when he needs to make one, how many times do we see him just pop off a couple in a row? I just think... It's yeah. not only it's no, no, not only how many you make percentage wise. It's when do you make them? When do you make them? Yep. No, no, no. He's still Steph Curry. Look, I'm not trying to say that he's uh, uh, you know close to retirement or anything, but I'm just saying that for the people who are picking the Mavericks, yeah, you know, this would be their argument. Sure. Yes, exactly. That that would be their argument, and I get that. I just think here's the deal. Jordan Poole seems to be on the cusp of stardom. He, I can't believe how much better he's gotten. And then Clay Thompson is looking. People say, well, you know, he's going to need another year. He's looking a lot more like Clay Thompson to me now. I mean, that there's, you know, you could say yes, you could probably do a couple things. You know, he yeah. could probably go right a little bit stronger and quicker, but he's pretty close to what he was. I, I, I'm saying yeah. Bobby, what do you think about how, and this may be just my own observation that no one else sees, but I feel like he's dribbling so much more than he used to. Clay used to be that guy who could eviscerate Passed and you. cut. Passed and cut. Yep. Yeah, and he could do it. He could score 40 on, what was it, like five dribbles that one time? That's it, crazy. I feel like maybe he's, he's, uh, he's pushing a little too much. I don't know if he's trying to prove to everyone what he can do, prove to himself still. Maybe the Jordan Poole thing is getting a little bit, you know, in his ear about how Jordan Poole maybe is the new uh, Splash Brother. Uh, something about that just feels a little off to me about Clay. Just the way he plays, it's like, okay, I don't remember many Clay highlights where he's doing that. Have you seen that at all? I, you know, I can't say that I've I've been concentrating on that. I, I just okay. I just watch to see what's he like when he elevates. Is his is yeah. his form? Is he following through? I mean, that's a big thing with him. When he's following through, he's deadly, and he's starting to, again to do that. I just think he's starting to look closer. Maybe with that another six months under his belt, maybe we go back to the clay that was passing cut and less dribbling. I think that's possible. Yeah. Anyway, I'm really, Casey, yeah. I appreciate you coming on. Good insights. I think we're in for a treat with both of these series. Thanks so much for joining us today. Anytime, Bobby. Thanks, man. Casey Kiernan, AM Hoops. We're going to take a quick time out. We'll be right back with more on the Bobby Curran Show, ESPN, Honolulu. Welcome back. We, uh... I just keep seeing things that irritate me about the New York Giants. Now, and I'm okay with the Brian Dayball as the head coach and Joe Shane 
They obviously did both did a terrific job in Buffalo. I thought it's a good there's two guys that are on the same page. They've worked together before. So I like all that. And I you know, almost anyone would have been an improvement in my mind over Dave Gettleman. But here's the thing that drives me nuts. When you have a guy who's a very good player, good corners are very hard to find in the NFL. I'm talking about a guy that can shut down a side of the field, who's terrific in man, who has great hands, instincts, etc. James Bradbury was one of those guys. He was really a good player for the Giants. And they cut him because of salary cap issues. Now, you can't convince me you couldn't have found a way to keep him. I just think that, and then this is to, to what galls me about this, is the Eagles then sign him to a one-year deal immediately because they recognize this is a really good player. He may be a difference maker in our secondary, and they don't hesitate. They go and spend the money. I just am getting a little annoyed by what the, the Giants approach. I have no problem with their draft. I loved Kayvon Thibodeau. I think he could be, I mean, if he's the right guy and them the red flags go away and he's loves football and all that, and I don't see any reason to think he doesn't. Um, and if he plays the way he did at his best at Oregon, he could be a hell of a player. Um, I just think that's what the Giants needed was a pass rush. I think, I mean, for one thing, I think Aziz Ojolari will be way better with with uh, Thibodeau playing behind him. And then Evan Neal. I mean, of all of those offensive linemen, and maybe I'm a little biased because a lot of these offensive linemen, even really good ones around the league, they're kind of, you know, they got big guts and they're, you know, they just don't look as athletic as Evan Neal does. Evan Neal looks like he could be a linebacker. I mean, incredible at 6'7", 350-odd pounds. I mean, amazing look. So I was good with their top of their draft. Didn't get why they didn't grab Nicobe Dean. They can say, oh, I, I think, you know, we heard something. Better do more than heard, hear something when you got a guy as productive as he is. That guy jumps off the Georgia tape at you. Number 17 is freaking everywhere. I just don't get not take. In the third round, I just think that was, that was gift-wrapped. And I do think he would have started for the Giants. I think he'll start for the Eagles. I bet you he ends up being a really good player. Could he, did he have some nagging injuries? Maybe. But I also think he was small, and that's what drove some people crazy, but not me. That didn't bother me at all. I'm over all that. I just want a guy who can play. We're coming up on uh, 757, which means we're going to have to take a timeout uh, very shortly. But we got a couple good things coming up. We're going to have Greg Nichols, who is the director of golf and the general manager at Coalina. We're going to get his thoughts on Southern Hills. You know, his good buddy is Paul Azinger. We're going to have uh, some interesting conversations. He's a former Sony Open champion. What about Mickelson? Does he ever make it back? We're going to have some good thoughts on that. Uh, coming back. Am I just about at my 15-second range? I think I am. So let's do this. We're going to take a timeout. We'll be right back with what I think will be a terrific 8 o'clock hour. Stay with us on the Bobby Curran Show, ESPN, Honolulu. 
Welcome back on this Wednesday edition of the program. I It was an interesting conversation with Casey Kiernan because he was talking about the proliferation of two-way players. Not everybody is. I think we can all be aware of that. In fact, he cited uh, John Moran as a guy who could really stand to improve, especially his team defense. You know what's kind of funny? Somebody complimented uh, a, an interviewer. Uh, complimented Steph Curry on becoming a two-way player. And Steph Curry stopped the interview <laughs> to sort of thank the guy because he said it's the part of his game that he's worked the hardest at. And I think there was a point maybe six, seven years ago where people would say, Steph Curry, great offensive player, but he doesn't play very good defense. Well, he has set himself to work, and he is a much better defender than he used to be. And I think it's been evident in the playoffs that he's made a number of plays on that end of the court, which I would say that seven years ago, that was unusual. So I think Steph Curry's done really a heck of a job to get his game complete, um, to make it as complete as he can. Um, that's, I think, what some of these guys who are truly professional do is they just look for a weakness and then they try. I mean, LeBron's picked out something every year in the offseason to conquer. You know, something that he doesn't do as well as he thinks he should, and he goes to work on it. I, I think that's, that, I mean, that's a key. Now, I would say Luka Doncic at this point is in danger of, you, you could call him a one-way player. He's not a good defender. He's not He's not wonderfully athletic. He's big. I mean, he's that. He's six foot. He's all a six foot eight, and he's kind of broad-shouldered guy. And he has a very quick lateral step that helps clear him to get his jumper off. I think he's going to be a tough handle for. I mean, look at Steph Curry's averaging 27 points a game in the playoffs. Doncic just 31 and a half in 10 boards. So he also gets. 6.6 6 assists during the postseason. He's a hell of a player, but how much better a player would he be if he was a two-way guy? I mean, he just doesn't, frankly, he doesn't seem to care much about the defensive end. Now, I get it. He's only 23. There's plenty of time for him to improve that. I think with him, it's just going to be the desire to get better at it. If he comes up with that desire and just decides, I come hell or high water, I am going to become a better defender. He will. I mean, I think it's as simple as that. The guy, guy who's as accomplished as him, I don't put it past him. It's not like he couldn't conceivably do that. 296-1420 is the number. If you got something, um, jump in. We'd love to hear from you. I'm, I'm excited about the series. I will be waiting with bated breath for today's game. I uh, I just I can't take my eyes off this series. I think this is the one, and as good as the other one, Boston and the Heat can be. This is my, this is the series I'm really hoping to be watching because I think that this should be crazily competitive. I agree. I mean, with Tanner had said he thinks six or seven, and then he went and said nope, seven games, both these series. I could be right. I do like the Warriors at home in a Game 7. He said he likes Dallas in San Francisco for a Game 7, largely based off what they did to the Suns. But 
I, I almost discount the Suns. The Suns were a no-show for that series, that game seven. Listen, I'm not going to say that the Mavs didn't play well. They did. But, I mean, come on. Chris Paul and Devin Booker were no-shows in that thing. How does that happen in a game seven? especially for people who have never won a championship, and supposedly that's what drives Chris Paul. Chris Paul did say after the game, you know, he's not retiring. I was like, well, if I was him at 37 years of age, if that's the best I can muster in a game seven on my way to potentially winning an NBA title, I might start to consider retirement. Are you? Do you want to be known as you're just a regular season player? Because really, when has Chris Paul ever been what you would call great in the playoffs? I would say he hasn't been. I think it's a it's a big hole in his resume. And you know, when I'm seeing people ask, okay, which Warriors player will step up in this series? I actually think a guy who needs to continue to play well. He's played well this year. But I think Andrew Wiggins is going to be called on to guard Luka quite a bit of the time. So, yes, I think he has really got to step up. There's guys I count on. I know what I'm going to get from Steph Curry and Draymond Green. But I think there's a couple of other guys. And one person who could be really consistent here, I, I think a great performance by Jordan Poole would go a long way to helping... Golden State accomplished their goal, which is getting to the NBA Finals. I know it's funny. This is, I think, the time that I've seen more people. Maybe it's because one and two are out, Phoenix and Memphis. But I'm seeing more and more people predict that the NBA champion is going to come out of the Eastern Conference. You know, it happened last year with Milwaukee. Uh, and that was a bit of a surprise to most people, particularly after the Suns went up 2-0 last year. Who thought that they were going to come back and beat the Phoenix Suns four straight? I mean, you got to give them credit. I mean, I thought, I thought Giannis was absolutely terrific. Chris Middleton was terrific. And, of course, his being out, uh, I think, really hurt them against the Celtics. I'm just watching a little highlight right now. It's Clay Thompson. I'm just saying I got what, what Kieran was saying about maybe the dribbling, but he just goes to the hole as well as he ever did, and his jumper is pure. Clay Thompson, keep in mind, Clay Thompson was often considered by many to be the second best shooter behind Steph Curry in the entire league. Now, I know people say, and it's true, because in a league where the average three-point shooter is actually 30, Tanner, uh, rather, Keegan, look this up for us, 35.4%. So that's the league average. So Steph Curry's only, you know, 37%. He's, you know, he's not much above that. But I, as I said, and Casey Kieran even agreed with this, it's not just how many of the shots you make. It's when do you make them. And Steph Curry has had a genius for that. And this goes back to when they were winning championships. I mean, Steph Curry is a, I don't know, people. some people say there's no such thing as clutch. You know, I used to cite Derek Jeter as a guy who just seemed to save his best performances for the biggest moments. That's clutch to me. I mean, if you're doing that consistently, that's kind of clutch. And even though other people say, no, that's just a, 
I don't know. I don't know exactly what one of the uh, kind of social scientists said about it, but basically he's just saying it's it's opportunity, you know, meeting critical time, that it's more of a sort of a luck thing than anything. I don't buy that. I think some guys get absolutely focused at the at you know they're razor focused at the most important times, and I think Steph Curry's one of those players. I think Michael Jordan had that. I think Kobe Bryant had that. I think Larry Bird had that. I I just think there's you can look back at a number of guys who made big plays at the biggest times, and I I would say those guys were all clutch. They all had that razor focus when it mattered most it's about nine minutes past the hour i'd love to hear from you if you got something you want to talk about does anybody feel that maybe thought the boston celtics were going to win this series when before this thing started yesterday who now feels that might well be the miami heat anybody feeling that way after yesterday i'd love to hear from you 296 1420 is that number 296-1420. I did want to get, I'm not going to make a big deal out of this, but I did want to mention that it, I thought this is very interesting. Rich Hill, the UH baseball coach, has made a change. He is going to make his new Friday starter, Blaze Coalee Pontes. I, I thought that was interesting. You know, they've gone with Cade uh, Halimano as their, you know, Friday night guy, and, and frankly, he has not been what they'd hope for in terms of consistency. But I think very clearly the best pitcher has been Blaze Coalee Pontes. I, I I don't I wanted I should ask Josh this because it seemed like last year most people just called him Lee Pontes. Now is this like a concerted effort to go with the big full formal name? It does take it is a bit of a mouthful. And uh, but anyway what listen my general rule on that is I'm going to call everybody whatever they want to be called. And why not? 296-1420. You know what I'm a little surprised at? I didn't realize, I mean, I knew that he is a trash talker. That I'm talking about Pat Bev, Pat Beverly. I, I knew that he is kind of loves to be contentious, but I didn't realize that he would get on a show like Get Up and just let it rip on guys. His thing on Chris Paul yesterday, he said, you know, let me just tell you the difference between Chris Paul and Steph Curry. He goes, when we're playing Phoenix the next day, he goes, I just go tear it up at night. I go, I get out, I'll roll in 3 o'clock in the morning, you know, having a really good time and then get up and play Chris Paul. He goes, when we're playing Steph Curry, I'm in bed at 8 o'clock at night. I mean, I you talk about a, a criticism or a damning by faint praise. Um, I thought that was really interesting. I mean, okay, you go out all night and tear it up when you're playing against Chris Paul? Wow. I don't know how many people said it. Now, there's a history there with those two. So you should mention that because that might color some of the things he says because they have not always seen eye to eye or gotten along. And let's face it, Chris Paul's chippy in a way that Steph Curry is not. So, I mean, he can get contentious and 
you know, Chris Paul will take that extra elbow, and he's not shy about that. And that probably has rubbed Pat Beverly wrong uh, over the years. Steph Curry is much more of a go-along-to-get-along guy. You know, he's not a guy that anyone's thinking is trying to do pull a, a dirty hair on you. That's not his thing. 13 minutes past 8 o'clock. Okay, let me get to this. If you had to pick, and I'm just going by the teams remaining. So it's Dallas, Golden State, Miami, and Boston. If you were going to pick right today, you had to pick the MVP. Now, granted, we got a whole lot of basketball left to play here with these final series and then the championship series. But, Tanner, if someone said to you, okay, project, who is going to be the MVP this year? So, obviously, you got to be right on having the winner because it always comes from the winning team. And then which player do you think gets the MVP trophy? Wow, that's tough. That is tough. That is tough. I mean, yikes. Yeah, this is really tough right now because, I mean, there's so many good players, I mean, left here in the final four. I would honestly say if if it does come to it, though, I mean, you're going in these if, – if you're picking from these final four teams, right? Yeah, and but Jimmy you have Butler. to project the winner. Jimmy Butler. So you're saying Miami wins the championship and Jimmy Butler's the MVP? I would think so. I'd like I, to believe that. I think – Just because Jimmy Butler's having an insane, like, last stretch here plus the playoffs, I definitely believe Jimmy Butler can win the MVP. I think the bigger problem is Miami winning the title than it is it being Jimmy Butler. If they win the title – I think it's a slam dunk to torture the metaphor that it will be Jimmy Butler. Hey, I, but I, I, well, who else, could, who else could it be? I mean, but Jimmy right. Butler. Yeah. Whereas I think, while it's very likely, it would be extremely likely for it to be Jason Tatum if the Celtics win. And I think it would be almost, again, a foregone conclusion that if Dallas wins, it's Luka Doncic. I think where it's more open... It's probably with Golden, Golden State. State, yeah, because I can see it being Curry. But remember that Andre Iguodala, when they won their three chance, he he got the MVP one. I don't think Steph Curry ever won. It was Kevin Durant twice and Andre Iguodala once. I think just to balance it, you, you know, let, let, let's be fair. Karma will strike. It'll balance out. Steph Curry gets the MVP. That would be something if he did. <laughs> I mean, who else? Uh, when you think about it, Jordan Poole, if he puts together the championship series he's capable of, now he usually gets a couple of great games and then there'll be something where it's much closer to average. But I think Jordan Poole could conceivably win it. I think it's hard for people to pick Draymond Green, even though he might be as influential and impactful on winning as any other player on that team. But usually what happens is Steph Curry just goes off for sometimes it's a five, six-minute period early fourth quarter and puts the game out of reach. Now, how many times have we seen that? And here's something that I think where Steph Curry's underrated. Everybody thinks of him. He's a great shooter. He's got fabulous range. Steph Curry is way better at getting to the rim than most people realize. He's... His body control is awesome. He knows when to go. He knows angles. He is terrific making his way through traffic and getting it up on the glass. And a lot of times, even if it doesn't go, he draws the foul. 
impressive stuff. I mean, the guy is such a product of his practice. And maybe more than some, it's obvious because he's not what you'd call a crazy. He's a good athlete, but he's not a crazy athlete. He's not a John Moran type. You know, he just doesn't have that kind of vertical. John Moran does things that you watch him and you say, I got to see that again on replay. It almost looked impossible what he just did. How many times have you had that thought when you're watching him? Let's do this. Let's take a quick timeout. 17 minutes past the hour. This is the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. Welcome back on this Wednesday edition of the program. We've got a few things left to talk about today. We had Casey Kiernan on. We are going to talk a little golf at the bottom of the hour. Greg Nichols, who is the general manager and the director of golf at Coalina, uh, has very got a very close relationship with Paul Azinger. We're go I'm going to talk with him a little bit about what he thinks the impact is going to be on golf generally with the Phil Mickelson thing. Does this weaken it? Do is there a serious challenge here from Live Golf, the Saudi-backed entity that is obviously committed to competing with the PGA Tour? Jay, over Jay Monahan's dead body, it appears because the PGA executive director is not having it. He's just saying already he is going to uh, punish anybody who plays in this event without the, any one of these events. There's one coming up in London shortly. And if they play uh, there instead of playing in the Canadian Open, that's the PGA Tour event. Um, he's going to... At the very least, he's going to sanction them, but he's th also threatening lifetime ban from the PGA Tour. Now, I've had a couple of attorneys tell me they've, they've snickered about that. He said, uh, does Jay Monahan not understand what an independent contractor is? Because they're not employees. He can make whatever case he wants, but they're going to lose that one. I, I just don't see any way... You can enforce a lifetime ban on an independent contractor. How's that going to work? Um, I just, I wonder if Jay Monahan's not overreacting. I understand he wants to sanction. I can see actually giving a suspension out to someone who plays in one of these events. Some of these guys, won't, if they make enough money in that, that week, they're not going to care much. Because I, here's the problem with a lot of these guys that, especially European tour players, their tour's in trouble. If it wasn't for the Ryder Cup, that tour would have dissolved already. So that's where they're getting a ton of their money. But consider this. The, some of these Europeans, I'll give you a couple of examples. Lee Westwood's one. I've always kind of liked Lee Westwood because he sort of has that British stiff upper lip thing. And I've come around on Ian Poulter because he's one of the feistiest Ryder Cup players Certainly the feistiest, I think, along with Sergio of the British guys or of the, you know, European guys, let's say, uh, more accurately. But, but uh, those guys are not pulling in big paydays anymore. So the idea that they can go make a couple of million playing in this live golf thing, the Saudi-backed deal, is very attractive. They're used to making a lot of money. Now they suddenly, the spigot's been turned down on them. So I kind of get that, but I also, I think for some of the Americans, 
and Jack Nicholas gave in to this. He sort of said, well, in some ways, isn't it disloyal? He goes, I, I helped build this thing. I'm not turning my back on the PGA Tour. I, I get that. I, I mean, there's, there's a loyalty thing involved here. It's more to a guy like Jack Nicholas. He's never going to trade that, the, his reputation and what he's worked for his whole life for 30 pieces of silver, which is my way of saying $100 million, but you understand the reference. He's not going to sell out for money. It's not part of the deal. That's about as likely as Derek Jeter taking steroids. Not going to happen. 296-1420 is, is the number. If you have something, go ahead. Will Tiger Woods make the cut at Southern Hills? I'm going to make your prediction. I think he'll make the cut at Southern Hills. I think he'll go further than that at St. Andrews. I think he'll actually be in contention when they play at the old course in the Open Championship. Don't know what will happen with the Brookline thing. Don't know where he stands on that. Go ahead if you have something. 296-1420 is the number. In fact, I'd have to you know, talk to one of the guys about Brookline to see, you know, does the course favor a particular kind of golf? Who does it set up well for? All those things. And I think those things matter, um, especially when you're a championship-level golf. We're only a few minutes away from talking to Greg Nichols, the uh, both the general manager and the director of golf at Coalina. Uh, we'll get his uh, thoughts on this. Well, how is this going to impact Phil Mickelson? And will the PGA Tour players not to don't even we haven't even gotten to the sponsor issue because he's been dropped by a bunch of sponsors. I mean, he had a huge one in Callaway, and they've paused their relationship. Some of them have dropped him outright. Can he get back in good graces? I think that happened with Tiger, too, though, after his, uh, his accident where it came out that he was misbehaving badly with then-wife Elon Nordgren. I think she took, a, she took a pitching wedge to the back window of the car, I believe. 2964, that had to be shockingly unpleasant. Uh, and in any case, Tigers drop sponsors, I believe, pretty much all came back. And then they, I, I think they exacted a price for those that dropped them, too. Now, will Phil's sponsors come back also? I think that's harder to know. I mean, usually what happens is either someone is sort of forgiven in a fairly broad way or they're not. Are people prepared to let Phil Mickelson up? Maybe. I just think that's we're still guessing on that one because we don't know. I think this going to be take some time to get Phil Mickelson past the release of the tell-all books, unauthorized biographies. There's one out now, another one's coming out in about ten days. I just think there's some things in there that probably Phil would prefer not to have public. My is my guess. Um, I don't know. I don't know some of the details. It's always been rumors of, uh, of of a particular nature about Phil Mickelson. And I don't have any clue on whether – I don't even traffic in them. I won't even tell you what they are because I don't know if they're true. And it seems to be unfair to spread something 
that might just be rumor-mongering, as simple as that. 28 minutes past. Let's do this. We're going to take a quick timeout. When we come back, we'll have Greg Nichols on. He's at Coalina, GM and the director of golf. Stay with us right back after this on the Bobby Curran Show, ESPN, Honolulu. Welcome back on this Wednesday morning. Tomorrow, uh, we'll begin the PGA uh, Tour Championship at Southern Hills Country Club in Tulsa. Joining us now, our golf guest, Greg Nichols, who is... Uh, not only the general manager, but the director of golf at Coalina, and uh, he's now with us. Greg, how are you? Good. Hey, Bobby. Aloha. Good to be with you. Yeah, I wanted to get to a couple of things right off the bat, and I want to start with this because it does seem that Jay Monahan is taking a very aggressive approach to try and keeping this Live Golf, the Saudi back venture, from getting traction. With actually with with threats, he's denying exemptions. A lot of the guys wanted to play in a London event because for some of them it's very close to home, and uh, just uh, across the board denied everybody. And now he's saying, well, he's threatening at least lifetime bans. And some people are snickering about that because I think that PGA Tour players are independent contractors; they're not employees. So lifetime ban might be a that might be a big ask. Yeah, no, you know what? It, it, this story's far from over, Bobby. And I hope at the end of the day that you know it it is resolved. It's not good for the game. Um, you know, there's, there's so many different parts to this story that you know that that, that are happening. But uh, hey, one thing for sure, Jay Monahan gets paid the big bucks, and he's sure earning them right now. No, no question. That's got to be a tough spot for him. And I'm sure he's getting a lot of advice that people are saying, you got to nip this in the bud. I, I'm, I actually wonder if they had, and, and possibly it had to do with, because it wasn't the most sympathetic figures. It was Greg Norman and to some extent Phil Mickelson. If you had had, I don't know, an easier personality involved that could have approached this kind of in a backdoor way, where they maybe could have come to some kind of an accommodation on players being only allowed to play a certain amount of these things where it wouldn't have felt like such a threat. I'm wondering if this much of this nonsense could have been avoided. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I think that the two players at the top of this, uh, Greg Norman and Phil Mickelson, are probably two of the most you know, controversial, well, two of the most controversial players in the game. This goes way back with Norman and the PGA Tour, Bobby. Uh, Norman tried to start a world tour back uh, 10 years ago. Yeah, He was very frustrated that he got shut down then. And so this is kind of the story, you know, coming back up again. But, you know, they, this has been going on for some time. And, uh, uh, you know, you talk about Phil Mickelson. Um, he, you know, he, he said some things that really put him uh, – in, in uh, very poorly in the public eye and also with his fellow players because it, it, you know, it's really, a, it's really a, a small fraternity of players. Uh, the, the players own the PGA Tour. I don't know if you knew that. The play, you know, that they own that. And so they want to protect the PGA Tour. And at the same time, you know, they want to protect each other. They, want, they don't want to lose opportunities. Uh, PGA Tour players have been going to Saudi, you know, Saudi Arabia and Dubai for years and they've been being given exemptions. It's just the extent, the amount of times that it's, they're, they're, they're being asked to play right now, and it's going in direct conflict 
with you know PGA Tour events and other major events. That's that's the real conflict right now. I actually did not know that. It's like, okay, I guess. Can you still be an independent contractor if you've got ownership of this thing? I, I don't. That I I read that and it seemed quite plausible that PGA Tour golfers are independent contractors. But that's an interesting kind of juxtaposition if they also own the tour. Yeah, no, you know, and again, I think anybody that's in employment uh, knows that, you know, there's there's very strict guidelines as it relates to independent contractors on what an employer, quote, can or cannot do. So, you know, they can put restrictions on the players. I mean, that's clear. Uh, you know, if uh, so, you really, I think you're going to need to bring a lawyer in. I think the only one that's going to benefit from this are the lawyers, unfortunately, Bobby. Yeah, no doubt. But, uh, yeah, no, you can't put restrictions on Jake well within his rights uh, so you know you've got guys hey the players Bobby and you know he's very outspoken and many times he's saying stuff that he really should not be saying yeah. I would say the same with Chris Norman you know it's one thing to talk about golf when they start talking about the legal uh, ramifications things like that I think they're out of bounds and I think yeah. that you know that shouldn't go there well, here's the thing about Mickelson. I mean, he is, I don't know, I, I don't mean to be insulting him, but he has been, he's had a lifetime of saying basically stupid things, hasn't he? I mean, this isn't new. The, the, his, I mean, he, how many times has he had to apologize in the past for things he said? You're right. No, listen, the guys, you know, I don't want to say it's love-hate because everybody, you know, love, people love Bill. He's a great, great for the game. I don't know if you got to see Tiger's comments yesterday. I thought he nailed it on, on what's happening with Phil. It's, you know, and John Rahm. And John Rahm loves Phil. I mean, he's like a, 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 a you know, a father figure to him. But, you know, they say Phil will be Phil. And right. yes, but it doesn't mean you can continue to say stupid things. I remember eight, seven years ago at the Ryder Cup when Phil came out against Tom Watson. Yes. Uh, after, really, you know, it's it, it just. And it was unnecessary. That's the thing, you know. It'd be if that was a life or death thing where it had to be done and had to be said, but no one else felt the need to say it. Right. Well, Phil, Phil thinks that his his two cents are, are worth maybe more than anybody else's two cents. No, he yet. thinks that's he thinks that's worth <laughs> half a buck. Oh, you know, the, you know uh, the, some of the qualities that make these outstanding athletes great. Or some of this maybe also can be an Achilles heel. Yeah. Things that drive them, that motivate them, and they become, you know, again, they think they maybe they're bulletproof. Well, Phil is taking it, uh, I think he's taking it to heart. I think he's somewhere, uh, uh, you know, dealing with his, quote, you know, personal issues. And I think um, the players that care about him want to see him get better. I think that uh, they want to see him come back. And I, I think hopefully he can. Hopefully he can. Hopefully yeah. it's not a ending uh, episode. We're talking with Greg Nichols, who is the director of golf and the general manager at Coalina. Well, I wanted to get your thought. I imagine that you're still pretty close to Paul Azinger. I know you speak to him uh, fairly frequently. Well, has he expressed uh, anything one way or the other about this whole controversy? Well, I think, yeah, a couple of players. Uh, uh, Paul, for sure. What Paul thinks... Uh, you know, and I'd say similar to Scott Simpson too. Uh, two players that are, you know, that uh, that uh, that I'm close to on the PGA Tour still. Paul thinks that Phil leveraged 
the Live Tour last year to try to get Jay Monahan to institute uh, the player impact performance uh, money. And you're, are you familiar with that, Bobby? Not, not terribly, no. Yeah, so, you know, the, 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 the mantra for the PGA Tour has always been, hey, they're independent contractors. You don't get paid for anything other than your performance, right? Right. You, you, miss it, you don't get paid, and that's always been their, their you know, their mantra. Well, Phil leveraged, LA, you know, saying, hey, you guys are, you know, costing us a lot of money, and you own our, you own our photos, you own all our PR rights. You know, we should be getting that. We are, you know, we deserve that. We, we you know, we created that. So the, the Live Tour started up, and Phil, this according to Paul, uh, he thinks Phil leveraged Jay Monahan to start the PIP, the, the player performance uh, uh, impact thing, and they put $40 million into that last year, uh, Bobby, of which uh, Phil thought he was going to win the, the lion's share of that money. It went to the top 10 players. Uh-huh. So. You know, basically Paul's point is, well, Phil is, you know, used that against Jay. And so now you've got the $40 million that they're paying these guys. But uh, the lift tour kind of blew up in his face on, on top of that. Wow. So it, it's, again, there's been missteps. And Nancy Armour in USA Today has a uh, the top of the lead on the sports pages. Don't feel sorry. Phil did this to himself. Uh, in, in many ways, it's hard to th- not think that's true. In addition to everything else that's going on, I guess the Shipnuck, uh, the unauthorized biography called Phil is out now. And I can imagine that people will be pouring through that. And I don't think he wanted to answer. He, it was already going to be uncomfortable answering questions about Live Golf. But with some of the goings on in that book, I'm not sure Phil was anxious to answer questions about that either. Yeah, no, that's, you know, you could unauthorized biographies are just that. And, you know, the, the people that are out there, they love, a, they love, you know, some people love to talk stink about anything. And unfortunately, he feels to be a target for that now. I think on a positive standpoint, uh, some of the positive stories, Bobby, and there's a lot uh, coming out of this PGA championship, one of the, and, and this whole thing with Smith, a live tour. I think one of the neat things was Jack Nicklaus turning down. Uh, you know, and you, you shared that with me the other day when we when we spoke. Uh, Jack Nicklaus turned down a uh, hundred million bucks. And imagine that. Yeah. And, you know, he did it for the game. He Tiger Woods. You know, Tiger Woods, Roy McIlroy, all these top players are coming out, and they're you know they're saying, hey, they're not they're not going to do it. And you know, now for a lesser player, that you know, who wants to restrict anybody from earning a dollar, right? And uh, but yet it's great to see some of the top players in the game, you know, stand up for really what they think is right. And, uh, you know, and I think Phil, hopefully he'll be given a chance to come back and, and uh, you know, redeem himself. I, I think it's I think it's in him to do that. And I wouldn't be surprised to see some uh, positive comments coming out from him shortly. At least I don't know. I, you know, I, I kind of feel like this too shall pass. We're a very forgiving sports culture. And I do think in time, I mean, followed by a sincere or preceded by a very sincere apology on Phil's part, I, I think that I think people are willing to give the guy another shot. I mean, I that's I think even golf fans will. Uh, you know, there's going to be some guys on the tour that probably Phil's burnt some bridges with, but it won't be the majority of guys, I don't think. Yeah, I just you know it's, it's funny. I see politics get involved with sports at any point, at any any sport, at any time. We're you know that's kind of our, the age that we're living in, Bobby. And you're, you know, you're, you're, you know, whether it's NBA and, and China, 
and yes. you know, etc. You know, and now with what's happening with Ukraine and Russia, and then Saudi Arabia, of course, and it's just that's where sports, Bobby. We're so blessed to have you know, I'm I'm blessed to be in the game of golf, and you know, you we, I wish we could have a a, a separation of that. You know, I hear really you. No, I, I hear you because sometimes it just gets convoluted and confusing. The, I wanted to get your thoughts on this Southern Hills PGA Championship. I, it's hard for me to think of a guy who plays, who's the difference in him confident as opposed to seemingly lacking confidence. Is there anyone that's more prevalent, that's more subject to that than Jordan Spieth? Well, boy, I'm rude for Jordan. I've always loved him as a player, and he's trying to compete the complete the grand, you know, career grand plan. So that's a great story for, you know, any golfer to watch him. Uh, he can do it. He's playing, you know, he finished second in his last tournament. He's, he's back. Yeah. And so he's a, a Roy McElroy is another a really engaging story. And, and then of course, Tiger, you know, Ed Tiger, <laughs> Tiger's back and who would count him out? So I'm, I'm watching this against Scotty Scheffler, you know, winning four out of the last eight events and, you know, He's a great story. And, you know, uh, love his caddy, Ted Scott, who used to caddy for Paul Azia. He's on the bag. You know, he's a great story. Hey, I got some trivia for you, Bobby. Go ahead. I'm going to test the trivia. Sure. All right. So so we know that uh, Phil Mickelson is is uh, is not there to defend his championship. Who were the other two players? There's only been two players in the history of the PGA Championship that were never there <laughs> to defend the championship. Do you know? I know one of them. I think one of them is Walter Hagen. Well, no, well, the two players. I'm going to give you the answer, so there's no prize for this. Prize is that you can come out. We get, you can finally get that lesson. You're always you're always saying you're going to come out and get is uh, uh, Tiger Woods in 2008 when he was coming back from his knee injury. Right. Tiger Woods 2008, and then Ben Hogan oh. in 1999 after you know the, the sun, car accident. Uh, yep. Wow! Someone told me that Walter. I, I maybe it was a different tournament, but Walter Hagen missed on defending something because he had found a tournament that was going to pay him more money. Which oh, is well, that's a good story. <laughs> yeah, Hogan. Yes, it may may very well be. I, I'm not sure if that that it, you know. Uh, that's why I thought it was story. Walter Hagen. Okay, that's good. I but by the way, Greg, I don't think a lesson. I think I'm beyond a lesson. I am. Uh, I'm in greater need of help than a mere lesson. We, uh, although I always enjoy coming out to visit you. Let Let me uh, get this from you. If you had to say, and I'm I'm just telling you where I kind of think, because I've heard Tiger say it's his favorite golf course in the world. That's the old course at St Andrews. That's where the Open is this year. I uh, to me, if if I was going to pick a another major, the Tiger might win. I think I might go with St Andrews. Your thought? Yeah, no, I think that's a great, great call. There's, there's, you know, it's local knowledge, local knowledge and experience. And I, I agree with you. I think he's, uh, you know, he's feeling pretty optimistic about Southern Hills. Uh, it's a lot yeah. flatter than Augusta. But the reality is that, you know, the last time Tiger played competitively was at Augusta. And it's just hard. You know, it's hard. I think Tiger may have, again, another one or two good events, but he needs to play more competitively and he needs to continue to get stronger. So, yeah, uh, I agree with you. I think St. Andrews is a great call. That's a Greg, always enjoy talking with you. Thanks so much for taking the time with us today. Same here, Bobby, and uh, hope you enjoy the PGA Championship, and uh, best to your son and and, and wife. Thank you. That's Greg Nichols, Director of Golf, as well as the GM 
at uh, Coalina. We'll be right back on the Bobby Curran Show, ESPN Honolulu. Welcome back on this Wednesday edition of the program, and I think this Southern Hills uh, champion, the golf will be great. I just think there's so many good young players now. When a guy like Scotty Scheffler just, and I think he made the fastest ascension out of the pack to number one in golf history, who was like, he was like barely ranked, and then in three months, he's the number one golfer in the world. How does that happen? Well, it happened because he just started winning and didn't stop. He's obviously been one of those guys that was a great junior golfer in the state of Texas. It's been a couple of those. Jordan Spieth was one of those also, just an absolute phenom. But the guy that was actually more successful than either one of them as a junior golfer was Justin Thomas. He had like 134 wins as a junior, something just insane. 296-1420, if you have something. There's been a lot of speculation there's going to be a big roast of Tom Brady on Netflix. But here's what's interesting to me. A guy who's never called a game ever is going to be paid $37.5 million a year per year for 10 years. I just think that I, I'm not getting that really. So there's no audition. There's no proving you're necessary. What if he's a bust? What if Tom Brady, for, for whatever reasons, has a crisis of confidence and can't really do this. How does that work? Does I mean, is, are they going to say, yeah, no problem. We'll just pay you the other $340 million. I, I'm, not, I'm not sure about that. That seems bizarre to me. I, we talk about some of these salaries that you hear, and I, I saw that... Uh, James Harden's buyout is, I think he's getting, or his salary, which he could opt out of, which I think he'd be insane to opt out of his $47.4 million for next year. Because they have to give it, if he invokes it, they have to pay him it. I, I just think, who else is going to pay James Harden at this stage of his career? Who else is giving him $47 million for that performance? I mean, people are talking about Chris Paul falling off the rock, but I, I to me, I, I think James Harden is maybe even, because he was considered one of the great scorers when he was in Houston. I mean, he was one of those unstoppable type scorers. How the heck did that go from unbelievable, the guy who couldn't be stopped, he either did one of two things, he either made a bucket or he went to the free throw line. Now it's like you can't decide whether he's going to turn it over or he's going to have it stolen from him. 296-14, I just think he's not the same guy, and it's very obvious. So these long-term contracts in the NBA, fully guaranteed, by the way, I mean, there are times the owners must just think, this was never a good idea. How did we get involved in this? And then all they have to do is look at football, who has managed to avoid that. They can get out of things very easily because the contracts are not fully guaranteed. It's fully guaranteed in, in basketball and in baseball, but not in the NFL. I've always found that fairly intriguing, that you, you just say to yourself, how did that happen? I mean, I, was there a failure of will there? 
that allowed these guys to get into these huge long-term guaranteed deals that are completely unrelated to your performance where you just I don't listen I'm not saying that golf has it right where you don't get paid unless you make a cut and and uh, and then finish high enough to make your check I, I think that's a little severe um, and golf is really rages against the idea of appearance fees. I, okay. I mean, I, I would reserve the appearance fee for someone who's not going to make the cut and, and maybe, uh, you know, even if it's just transportation money, but they don't get that. want to thank uh, Keegan Ota for filling in admirably for Tanner Hayworth this morning. Thanks to all of our guests and our callers. We appreciate you all. We're going to take a leave of you until tomorrow morning from for Keegan, from all of us at ESPN Honolulu. I'm Bobby Curran. Aloha.